that we, we felt kind of led to, to remind ourselves of why we're here, of what we're doing. And uh, it's, it's all to do with, with the vision. We believe God called us here to the school in, in the story of what he's done amongst us as a people over the years, because he hasn't finished with us yet. Now, when we moved here, we asked the question, is this what God wants of us? And we believed and said, yes, it is. I know that it's a bit of a hassle coming to the school and setting out chairs, and it's not as, as quaint as the high street building, but we've come anyway because we believe God is at work amongst us. We said, making room for him. And we believe God is doing many things. Our vision statement is up there. It's, on, it's printed on, on lots of things. And, and we're trying to help us engage with it, of, of not just kind of pay lip service to it, but say, why, why, what are we about? Why are we here? What is God's Spirit saying to us at this time and in this season? And we believe very much that God is at work. Of, uh, of Sharon's testimony of, of the Alpha, of seeing yet more people commit their lives to Jesus, of, of hearing, uh, of seeing Anna appointed, of, uh, and of hearing testimony again and again of, of God who transforms. Isn't that great? But we want to see more of that. And we want to see the reign and rule of Jesus extend and extend, and we're part of that. Partnership with Jesus, live you said. Now, we recognize that as we step out in faith, sometimes it's, it's not comfortable. Do you know that? Change, even good change, is always a little bit unsettling. Have you noticed? But we are yet committed to that. We are sometimes having to reshape how we do things, rethink maybe some of our priorities, not just do things the way we've always done them, but learn from Jesus as he inspires us by his spirit. I want to show you a, a video clip I came across uh, a couple of months ago, and it, it's kind of clever, but it helps us just begin to think of why and what were we doing, why are we doing it in this vision series. Thank you. Thank you. 
challenging. I think it captures something really important. Turn uh, with me, please, into the scriptures and to Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers didn't find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this the report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. Wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach In this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who, honor, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be someone, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days in the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Father, thank you for faithful men and women who have counted their lives as yours. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that in reading this 
story of our family. And in these moments together, you would put that deep, burning conviction afresh within us that we should and must and will tell. Amen. Our first, our first bullet point, if I can call it that, of our, of our mission statement is over here. It's in small print, proclaiming Jesus to people today. It's not optional. Proclaiming Jesus to people today isn't one of those icing on the cake things for believers. It's a priority. A couple of weeks ago, I shared something, a vision, and said, how rarely do we describe ourselves as slaves or servants of Jesus? But we are called to follow him. We are called to be those servants of him, to proclaim that we are living witness, living testament, living envoys, that we know he has risen because he has changed us. Mission, proclaiming Jesus, is not optional. But there's a battle in Christian life and in our culture. We're going against the flow. Two things can characterize our society, and two things kind of impinge upon this and this belief that mission isn't is an optional. First is our cultural view that tolerance rules. Virtually nothing, whether belief or action or lifestyle, cannot be uh, rejected. In other words, as long as it doesn't really affect or impinge badly upon someone else, whatever you want to believe, you believe it. It's as equally valid as someone or something else that someone else believes. Well, we kind of say, yeah, we know that. But it implicitly affects this call, this, this belief, this conviction that we have to tell because as soon as we start to say, we've got good news to share, well, what makes you right? Can't you just let live and let live? Why do you have to impose yourself on us? Aren't we all just getting on all right already? I think it causes us to be slightly more reticent about sharing than we should be. The other thing that affects us very much is that of freedom. We have a culture which demands our rights and my ability to do anything that I would like, you would like. Whether it's Freedom to think, freedom to do whatever we please, to opt in or to opt out. Whatever suits me, whatever suits you, is the kind of mantra of our society. And yet Christianity makes a different claim. It calls upon us to serve him, to live, to lay down our life and serve him, live for him, be his servant, his slave, as I spoke of. Do you remember that? Mission, proclaiming Jesus, is not optional. It means language that we sometimes use in church, like duty or obedience or loyalty or necessity. They kind of sound old-fashioned, don't they? They're out of vogue. It's not what our culture talks about, yet it's still a priority for us that as Christians we're called to obedient living for Jesus in our body and mind in all that we do, of loyalty to Christ and his people. People just opt out, make their own choices their own priority. It can happen in marriage. People have 
10, 15 years of marriage with children, well, marriage isn't just working for me anymore with this particular person. I've got freedom to change. Let me find somebody else. My rights, my choice. Uh, I don't know if you like this. If you get an invitation uh, to something, it's, a, it's more young people. I don't know about old people. But I was talking about if you get a young, an invite as a young person or maybe yourself, do you kind of think, well, I won't reply to it straight away because something that I might like more might come along. And I'll reply later, depending. I don't want to do nothing, so I'll just kind of hold it waiting. And then, you know, if nothing better comes along, then I'll go. Do you know that? It's this thing of what suits me. You know, even uh, many societies, many clubs, many different organizations are affected by this cultural mindset. Membership's on the decline. People don't want to kind of commit. Freedom is in, obligation is out. And yet, Jesus says, mission, proclaiming him, is not an option. It's essential. It's part of who we are. Our first kind of statement of who we are as God's people. We will proclaim Jesus to people today. Francis Chan, in, a, in an interesting book, Crazy Love, makes this statement. He said, it's not scientific doubt. It's not atheism. It's not pantheism, which means worshiping many gods. It's not agnosticism that in our day and this land is likely to quench the light of the gospel. It's a proud, sensuous, selfish, luxurious, church-going, hollow-hearted prosperity. Mission isn't optional. Proclaiming Jesus is our first mandate. It isn't sufficient for us to say, well, I'll witness if I feel like it, when I want. I'll witness to whom I want to witness. And if it doesn't feel good or right, well, I'll, I'll opt out. Thank you. We are called to make Jesus known. The Great Commission is the Great Commission, not the Great Omission. Go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's still our task. Still who we are. Jesus talked about complete commitment. We negotiate terms. He required lives to be trained for service. We make it an optional or an unusual extra. He promised his presence to us. We live as if we were on our own. It's our heart and our desire to see us as the people God has called together in this time and this place, serving him, proclaiming him, and making him known. I'm not saying you're not doing it, but I am saying we should keep pressing onto it. Someone described it as leaning into it. In church life, they said the first thing often to go is that priority to evangelize. They said in leadership, keep on leaning into evangelism because God's people, for whatever reason, won't keep doing it. They will like to, to kind of become inward and self-content and comfortable because it's costly to keep going out to the lost and the broken and the difficult. And it's uncomfortable to keep doing it, but we must keep leaning into it or keep prioritizing or keep emphasizing because we will, we will hold back. Excuses sometimes that we may use, I use. I'm too busy, something had to go. I don't have any non-Christian friends to invite. It's not my gift. 
I stayed at home and prayed for you. Mission is not optional. Rick Warren says this, loving unbelievers the way Jesus did is the most overlooked key to a growing church. Without his passion for the lost, we will be unwilling to make the sacrifices necessary to reach them. We're not just here for ourselves. We're here to make a difference. Why? Jesus commands it. Four simple ideas. Jesus commands this. The lost matter to God. Let me say that again. The lost matter to him. You know you matter to God because he entered into your life. You counted you as worthy and you were worth rescuing. Hallelujah. But we forget that the lost still matter to God, that his heart breaks for those who still do not know, who still resolutely, angrily turn their face against him. He loves them. How can we give up? How can we cease? The lost matter to God. Only once we have caught, fully caught that passion in God's heart, we'll be ready like shepherds to bring the lost ones home. The lost matter to God. And he commands us, Jesus commands us to go and proclaim. Imagine I'm driving my car, my little Toyota, and I'm driving 70 miles an hour down the road. Naughty Edward, it's a 30 mile zone. I don't do this, it's an illustrative point, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) And all of a sudden the lights flash behind me and the police pull me over and said, sir, you know, comes over, sir, do you know that you were doing 70 miles an hour in a 30 zone? I said, really? I'm sorry about that. I always break the speed limit, it doesn't matter. And the officer says, well, no, it doesn't matter, does it? That's fine, just continue on your way, sorry to bother you. Is that what would happen? No. Why? Whether I choose to obey the law or not, I've broken it. That it's not just a nice suggestion when there's a 30 sign. You know, it'd be nice, you know, for the neighbours, for the, for the ambiance of the area, you know, just to travel sedately through and enjoy the houses. No. There's a reason. The law doesn't apply only if I decide to follow it or not. The rules are not voluntary or optional. They're the law. Now, you may say to me, well, the New Testament isn't law, Edward. Not as the driving speed limits. True. But I would say to you this, that neither is the New Testament a book of suggestions. Or a book that says, well, if you feel like it. Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. A command. And we don't have the right, as people who said yes to him, who said we are his and we we will live our lives for him, to say, well, we'll just set that aside, Jesus, thank you very much. We do not have the right to do that. Again and again, Jesus commands this. In every gospel, I've read Matthew 28, 19. In Mark 16, he said to them, go into the wall of the world and preach the good news to all creation. In Luke 24, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You're witnesses of these things. John's gospel, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Acts chapter 1, but you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is not optional. 
brothers and sisters, family of God, we're called to proclaim him. The early disciples never saw this as an option about witnessing or evangelizing. Even faced with the the ultimate choice, it seemed regularly that that was the case. Life or death, stand up for Jesus, proclaim Jesus, or be cruelly persecuted, whipped, flogged, and possibly martyred. Keep quiet or speak up. What did they choose? Speak up. Acts 4, Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we've seen or heard. I love that. Cannot help speaking about what we've seen or heard. That's so full-worthy, the excitement and the amazement. And the thrill and the knowledge that the gospel was the power of God for salvation. They were bursting to tell. The gospel had to be told. They had to do as Jesus asked and called them to obey. People they knew needed to know Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Silence was not an option. They knew that this commission, these commands were not options. Jesus didn't ask us to fit it into our agenda and our lifestyle and suit our personal preferences. We see in the example of the apostles, they did what he asked. They followed his agenda. They knew in John 14, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. It's Jesus' command. I know you've heard this message probably many times before, but we forget or we draw back so easily. Why do we do it? Why do we proclaim Jesus? Because he commands us to. Secondly, it's the truth. It is the truth. Why didn't the the apostles keep quiet? When they were faced with death, when they were faced with opposition, they didn't have some health and safety guru and said, well, you know, it's, it's, you're in danger here. You know, kind of, you know this, is against, this is against good practice now. Step back. Health and safety at work and all that. Common sense. No. They knew the truth. The apostles knew that Christ was risen. The reign and rule of God had come in Jesus Christ. They'd seen Jesus crucified. And they knew, yes, that the authorities could easily hand them over to the executioners themselves. But Peter and John faithfully witnessed, preached, proclaimed, spoke of, lived it out. The Jewish leaders had summoned them and said, you must not do this. We forbid you from preaching. But they kept on. And they kept on healing the sick in the face of all the authorities saying, stop. They blatantly disobeyed the religious authorities. Maybe they'd soon be hanging on crosses themselves. I love this story that I read out. The apostles are arrested. They're thrown into the public jail. But an angel releases them. And says, hi lads, nice to see you here. Sorry you've got in a bit of this tangle. Um, You've got yourself into a bit of a spot of bother. I've been sent here as messenger from God. Come on, let's, let's get you out. Flee to the mountains. Hide away until things have calmed down a bit. Is that what the angel did? No, set them free from jail. And rather than sort of escaping from Jerusalem, where do they go? They go back into the temple courts and start teaching and preaching and proclaiming Jesus to people today. And the Sanhedrin in this kind of comedy capers with the jailer, they go to the jail, they open the door, and the guards are there. Where have they gone? They know this, that they're going to be in trouble, and they go back and say, they're not there. And then someone sees out of the kind of the window or 
through the door. They're in the temple doing what we've told them not to do. That's just mad, isn't it? They've been put in jail. They could have escaped, but instead they go back and they tell because they're driven to speak the truth. The angel said, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of this new life. And they did. And the Sanhedrin summoned them. Hear the menace in verse 28. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles reply this. What a great statement. We must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We talk a lot about being filled with the Spirit, don't we? And long for more of the presence and the fullness of God. Well, there's a clue here. If you start to step out, if you start to obey as Jesus commanded, and make it a priority in your life to witness for him, we can expect to know more of the Holy Spirit. Well, words like that warranted their own execution. They were furious. Gamaliel, the wise one, says, well, if it's of God, it will happen. If it's not, it will fall by the wayside. Having been flogged, they go out. And day after day, it says, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Why? Why did they do that? Because they had to. Not only because God had commanded it, but because this was the truth. They knew life is different. The world is different. Christ is raised. Forgiveness is on offer. It's not about, well, every religion is okay as long as you're sincere. That's nonsense. Jesus is the hope of salvation, the gift of God to all people. And they had to tell it. If they hadn't been sure, you know, well, did Jesus say that? Did he really? Not sure. Maybe they would have balked. But they were sure. They knew the truth and proclaimed it. No matter how many threats, no matter how severe or how costly, nothing changed the reality that Jesus was God's, is God's savior and the gospel needs telling. If we believe it, brothers and sisters, if we believe it, Today, in this day and age, we must tell it. It can be inconvenient and it can be dangerous, but we must, because it's true. Thirdly, it's right to tell it. Not only is it commanded by Jesus, not only is it true, but it's, it's right that we do this. If we don't, it's kind, of, it's kind of wrong. A simple illustration often made if someone is terminally ill and you find the cure, would you keep that cure to yourself or would you share it? You're thinking about that one. Would you keep it to yourself or would you share it? Why? Because it's right. Because you know it will help. It will transform that person. 
There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 7 of, uh, of Samaria's besieged. And the people of God are in the city and the Arameans are around them and they're starving. It's desperate. And there's four lepers and they're kind of like, they're at you know, the bottom of society. No one cares if they're going to die anyway. They're contagious. And these lepers kind of like, they're in a no-win situation. They think, well, we die in the city or we go out to the Arameans and we'll die at their hand. And they think, well... We're going to die in the city anyway. We'll just try something. We'll go out. So they go out and they discover that God's already won the battle and the Arameans have fled and, and they've just left camp and all the treasures and all the food and all the, the kind of the st- all their belongings are there. And the lepers, it's like Christmas Day. And they're like in the tent, they're putting on the jewelry and the, the wealth and the clothes and they're scoffing themselves. Of, you know, they've been starving for months and, and they're having a great time. And suddenly the penny drops for them. They say, they, look, they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. They knew that they had to share the good news because it was wrong that other people should be suffering and dying when they were living in the abundance and the blessing. If you've got something good, you share it. It's right. Did you know that Volvo invented seatbelts? Did you know that? Did you know that they purposely didn't patent the, um, the apparatus, the mechanics, because they knew that this would save lives? If they only kept it for themselves, many other people would be hurt and killed. They invented something and they let it have free access for all the other motor industries because they knew it's so precious. It's right. Imagine this scenario. You're walking by a river and see a child fall into the water. He cries and screams for help, but even though you can swim, you walk on and leave the child to drown. How would public opinion be? Would they not virtually blame you for the child's death since you could have saved him but didn't? You know, when we consider our world, we don't often think in these extreme terms. But there's something about the commission and the commands and the truth of God that God has invested and authorized the church to do if we fail in sharing. This isn't a guilt trip, but the reality that if we don't witness, people will not hear, maybe unlikely ever to hear. It's right that we share because it's true and it's good. Transforms. The power of God forgives and restores and remakes and brings peace and life and belonging and a future and plans, goodness. How can we not speak of it? It's not our responsibility how people respond, but it's our responsibility to proclaim it. Do you agree? Fourthly, it's, it's something to be shared. In in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God is talked about like a treasure. In 1 Corinthians, the the Christians are given this treasure as a trust or as a deposit or as a possession or as part of our inheritance that we are partly responsible for passing it on. Um, In 1930-something, 33 I think it was, my grandparents got married. And as part of their wedding present, amazing wedding present, someone gave them a, a, a piano, a baby grand piano. It's a lovely piano. Now, um, my granny used to play, and then her daughter-in-law, 
is a very good pianist, and Granny stopped playing. She got arthritis. So she said to my uh, aunt, would you like the piano? And my aunt said, of course, I'd love the piano. And she took it and, and enjoyed playing it and taught on it and uh, taught her children and, and other students. And... Um, it's a really, really uh, precious thing, so much so that she got really angry with my cousin Jill because one day, Jill, who was four, decided with this lovely heirloom herita- inherited piano from my granny, she was into art and, and saw the music stand, nicely lacquered wooden music stand. She thought, I'll draw on that. So she got her biro and on the nice lacquered varnish, she drew a nice stick horse and stick people and said, Mummy, look what I've drawn for you. And Mummy wasn't best pleased that this wedding present, valuable, inherited possession had been uh, desecrated by a four-year-old's etchings. My aunt was horrified. A few years ago, my aunt couldn't have it anymore, and so she, she, she said to me and to all the other cousins, but I was the only one playing at the time with a bit of space to have it, would I like it? And I said, I love it. I do play it. It's precious. It's a privilege to have. I care for it. And I kind of recognize it's part of my family heritage, even with the little stick figures on from my cousin. And maybe one day I'll pass it on. But in the New Testament, it's not about preserving. It's about reproduction. It's not preserving it for the sake of, well, it's something precious, therefore I'll treat it very carefully because it's mine and I'm going to hold it tightly. It's about passing it on. You may have noticed I have a tube of Smarties here. One of the things I, uh, you were noticing that, weren't you? Thinking I'm going to give them away. Well, there's a children's talk that I used to do. It's not rocket science, but I'd get all the children, all these little lovely angelic faces. They'd come and sit around me and I'd, I'd get a nice big bowl of more than this Smarties and I'd I'd ask them, which is their favorite Smartie? And some of them would say green, and I'd eat the green one. And say, oh, yeah, they're nice, aren't they? And um, some would say red, and I'd try them and go, yeah, you're right, reds are great. And I asked them, do you, when you eat Smarties, do you just like, eat one or two at a time, or do you eat the whole lot? And some would say one or two, or the whole lot. And I go, mm, yeah, it's great, isn't it? And after a while, the little children would be looking at me because they know ministers are meant to share. <laughs> and there I am gorging myself on delightful Smarties, munching away. And I eventually say to them, what's the matter? And they kind of look like, why, why can't I have one? <laughs> I said, well, they're mine. And then I know, but they're nice and I want one. Because I don't want tears in church. I share it. You know, if we can do that simply with smarties, how much more the thing of great price? But too often the church is characterized by saying it's, it's, just for, it's just for us, this gospel. And we kind of pay lip service and say, yeah, we know it's for those lost people. Why is the church in decline in Britain? Lots of reasons, but part of it is because the Christians in Britain are not proclaiming well enough. Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. We have this expectancy on Alpha in this church. As we preach the gospel, we'll see people repent and believe. And we see that the church is growing. 
Jesus hasn't established a church to shrink and die. But he does call us to proclaim it. People desperately need Jesus and God has given us the precious gift of life to pass on. We're here to proclaim Jesus to people today and we'll explore that more in coming weeks. It's not optional. It's not just for our corporate and our gathered times, but for when you go out on your own in twos and threes and house groups. It's about what we do together and what we do in our life and living. People desperately need Jesus. David Cameron said, broken Britain, nothing new for us. It's broken without Jesus. Someone I was reading about in preparation for this, and someone said, and I hadn't even thought of it this way, Jesus says, go into all nations, go in and make disciples of all nations. And we read that, and it does mean people groups. But how close are we to making Britain a Christian nation? Not that that's the goal, but to seeing people in Britain, disciples of Jesus, a nation changed. How close are we to seeing that? It's the mandate of Jesus, go into all nations. Romania and other places as well. God commands it for you and for us, for me, together and as we're apart. I once saw a child nearly drown. He'd fallen into a river, couldn't scramble out. That lad screamed for help as if he were using his last breath. He probably thought it was. I wasn't first to help. Like a sprinter from the blocks came the boy's father. He ran to the riverbank, grabbed his son's outstretched hand, pulled him clear, and then held him fast. Love reacted to the need. It could never have done anything else. The boy was in great danger. Fast as he could, his father came to save him. The obligation of proclaiming Jesus to people today is no different than that. Let's pray. be very easy for me in, in response to kind of, we're not doing well enough. Come on, church, you know, and send us all out feeling a little bit low. But I, I, I just, that would be wrong. The phrase in my mind is, and I believe God's in this, he's saying, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it because you're my people. You can do it because I've put the Holy Spirit within you. You can do it. It's not beyond you. It's not something that you've got to strive for. You can do it because you know me and you love me. You've got a story to tell. And I know you, you agree with the, the message I've brought because you're brothers and sisters and people committed to the scripture. You can do this. We can do this. I just pray for us. Let's all stand. I just pray that... Holy Spirit, you'd come afresh to us, even now. 
I thank you for the opportunities that we have taken. And the, the, I thank you for the faithfulness of your people where we have left our comfort zone and, and have stepped out in faith. I thank you. But I pray too, if people have become weary or disillusioned or it just seems like no one ever wants to listen, I pray, Holy Spirit, you renew that, that love for you, not just for the lost, but for you first and foremost. That love for you, that passion for you, that awareness of you, living for you. But I do pray, Lord, the lost matter to you. They really do. Help us as we refocus ourselves around what you're asking of us. To be prayerful and passionate, to make it our goal, not just once a week, but but to be praying, Lord, give me opportunity to speak of you, not bluntly or arrogantly or harshly, but to be a witness. We want to see the fruit of and the seeds we sow. We want to see this area and this nation, this world, just as you've declared it, commanded it, and you've made a promise that the gospel will be told in every nation, to every people. We work for that. Commit ourselves to that. Holy Spirit, come. Forgive us if we've imposed our agenda, not yours. I ask now you come and fill us afresh such that we can do this. Make it more and more natural for us.